You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to Between the Links, hosted by Mike Head. And here's your host, Mr. Mike Heck. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to a special live edition of Between the Links right here on MMAfighting.com. I am Mike Heck, the host and the moderator of this program. And truth be told, as we've done for the past four weeks or so, we recorded an episode yesterday. It was our defending champion, James Lynch, taking on a new challenger. It was a fantastic matchup that went down to the wire. And in the post-production process of it all, the audio for the second half of the show just poof, vanished into thin air. So we put our heads together and we decided to move forward with a special live show. And our champion, if you know James, he is a monster. He has like 7,000 interviews to do today. So he's going to return to the show next week. And he will face the new BTL interim champion that we will crown on the show today. And as expected, we have a lot to get to. The fallout of an exciting UFC on ESPN 12 event and the UFC's recent stretch of events at the Apex in its entirety, which was five events in total. We had four fight nights, we had one pay-per-view, and now it is on to Fight Island for the next four events beginning next Saturday with the loaded UFC 251 event. And joining me to discuss all that and more, first, joining us on back-to-back days, she was the challenger yesterday, went up against James, and as good as that matchup was, She said something during her introduction yesterday that stuck out to me, stuck out to our producer in the truck, Casey Lydon, to set the table for this interim title bout, if you will. So let's go to the truck and play that clip right now, if we could. Thank you so much for having me. I've been on Between the Links before when it was on another platform, so I'm excited to be back. I will admit that I'm kind of nervous. I'm taking up the reigning champion right now in James Lynch. I thought I was going to have some easy work with Jose, but I'm ready to fight. I'm here, man. Those were fighting words right there. I swear to God. Kristen King joins us. She does great work over my May News. She was a recent, a recent guest on uh, the A-Side live chat, although I'm not sure if another invite will be coming her way after that. But Kristen, welcome back. I appreciate your flexibility. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Um, You know I love Between the Links. It's one of my favorite shows. I'm happy to be going up against a good friend in Jose, but I meant every single one of those words. So I'm hoping to give you your second straight loss on Between the Links today. Wow, I love it. And her opponent, the former Between the Links champion, he had a great run, but he's back this week to potentially earn some redemption against James Lynch and add an interim title to his collection. The man with the best mustache in all of MMA media, the host of the A-Side live chat from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jose Youngs. Jose, how are you, sir? Well, I would respond to whatever Christian said, but I couldn't hear anything. It was all muted on my end. Played, I couldn't hear it either, but I remembered it. I watched the clip again last night, so she had some things to say. She talked a little trash, and uh, that's what Between the Links is all about. So, Kristen, let us begin with you. You won the toss. We saw this last week, a little bit after the Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos fight, and as good as that fight was, I don't think anyone was saying that it was like the Do we officially have a new clubhouse leader, so to speak? If so, why? And if not, why not? Yeah, I don't think that we do. I think it's very close. It's like definitely second place, but that's why I said this is fight of the year contender. I don't think that it's fight of the year just yet. I mean, the year isn't over, number one. And then number two, I had to be reminded that Joanna and Whaley actually took place this year, and that was an insane fight to watch, too, because that was one of the most like unexpected performances from both women. I was not expecting both of them to just go out there and 
pretty much hammering each other like that. But with the Dan Hooker fight and the Dustin Poirier fight, I kind of figured that either it could go 25 minutes and be a full-blown war like it was, or somebody was going to sleep. I'm glad that we got uh, a war between the two, but I'm not going to jump out of the, the ship and say that Joanna versus Whaley has been dethroned as fight of the year. I think that's still the pretty clear front runner with Poirier versus Hooker being second. I think a lot what comes into this is is recency bias. We were saying the same exact thing about the Emmett versus Virgos fight. I think a lot of people had their adrenaline pumping and they were just so excited to see a fight go down like that. Uh, this is pretty much the same thing with Hooker versus Poirier. So fight of the year contender, yes. Fight of the year, definitively not yet. Jose, you know how we are. Recency bias is a, is a huge thing in MMA. What have you done for me lately? And this fight delivered in a big way, but did it deliver big enough to to dethrone the front runner for fight of the year in 2020 between Zhang Weili and Yuani and Jacek? No, not it didn't. It's 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 sitting at comfortably at number two, which is nothing to be ashamed of, considering I think Zhang Weili versus Yuani and Jacek is the best title fight I've ever seen, not named. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald. Like, that is going to go down as one of the greatest fights of all time, not just this year. So everyone is, for the rest of the year, for all these fights, is going to be battling for number two unless we just get absolute insanity. Uh, so, no, I don't think... I Like, Hooker... I mean, Poirier versus Hooker was amazing. It's everything it lived up to be. But I think there's a few factors that play into uh, Zhang Wiley versus Yuana kind of taking the place. And to take playbooks out of, like, our, my former uh, co-worker, Dave Meltzer, it's like the crowd was there. It was for a title, co-main event slot underneath uh, a highly end. They stole the show. Like, Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Yo Romero was supposed to be this big epic war. It obviously wasn't. And everyone was talking about Zhang Wiley versus Yuana and Jake. So anytime a co-main event, a straw white women's title fight, uh, is now is outshining the main event of uh, a middleweight championship, an undisputed middleweight championship of the world uh, in in March, uh, I think I think it's... Zhang Weili, Yoani, and Jacek is going to go down as one of the greatest fights ever, and it's not going to get dethroned anytime soon. I will say this, and Krista knows this already, but personally speaking, I watched both fights yesterday back-to-back -back in preparation for the show, and they were both fantastic, both really incredible fights. Both have arguments for being the best fight of the year, and I don't know if it's recency bias or whatnot, but right now, on this day, I think Poirier versus Hooker is the front runner. And to sort of piggyback off of what James said yesterday, which none of you got to hear, not, I didn't think there was any point in the Zhang Weili versus Joanna Yanjacek fight where I felt like any woman was in jeopardy of being finished in that fight. Exactly. This fight in particular, I th there were points where both guys we thought were on the verge of being finished and both were able to come back and we got a great fight. But tomorrow that could change. I could watch them both again and be like, you know what? It, maybe it is Whaley versus Joanna. But to kind of transition here, one thing we we do in the sport a lot because of how it's shaped up is we immediately talk about the what's next. Like we don't allow these guys to like savor the flavor for too long. And for me, I have to answer all these questions as, as part of my job. But one thing that kind of stuck out on social media over the weekend was Ariel Hawani from ESPN tweets out that Poirier should fight Tony Ferguson next, which I agree is the fight. But Poirier responded with, damn, let me, let me rest, bra. And, and I'll say, first off, clearly Ariel didn't mean let's line these guys up for a fight in August. Clearly Poirier deserves some time off after a fight like that. Ferguson deserves time off after the fight with Justin Gaethje. But Jose, we talked about this on the preview show and on the post show. Now that we've had a couple days to let it breathe a little bit, is Ferguson the next fight for Dustin down the road whenever he's finished recuperating? Or is there something else? Perhaps a, a fight with Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz or... Do we wait to see how Habib versus Gaethje plays up before we can even have this conversation? Because as we discussed last week, if Gaethje wins, Poirier's already got a win over him, and we got a story already lined up for us. Well, if we're talking about what makes most logical sense, which is, of course, not allowed in mixed martial arts, it's Tony <laughs> Ferguson, just based off of the rankings. Uh, Tony Ferguson has, like, like look at, I, I can't remember who posted it, but it was like people were putting all of these uh, resumes next to each other, and it was like Dustin Poirier's all of these former champions he's beaten, and then Tony Ferguson, all these champions and former champions he's beaten, and neither of them have ever been the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. I think it just makes sense. The story's there, the rankings there make sense, uh, but again, uh, you could throw in anomalies like Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, who I don't really categorize in the quote, make sense fight. They can just fight whoever they want because fans will watch them fight whoever they want to fight. They, Poirier and Nate Diaz are supposed to fight at UFC 230 at lightweight. If they want to run that back, great. They want to run back the Conor McGregor fight at 170, great. Uh, but I'm not counting those because 
I'm trying to make sense. So uh, Tony Ferguson makes the most sense, but if they want to turn around and say, hey, we want to give you a Paul Felder versus Charles Oliveira or Charles Oliveira, like, cool. But if he wants to wait for, see if Justin Gaethje beats Habib, I would imagine they want to give Habib the immediate rematch because uh, I, I know how the UFC is. So process of elimination, Tony Ferguson would be up next. It's one of those rare occasions where the fight that I want actually makes sense. Kristen, what do you think? Yeah, I think in this instance, we definitely have to wait for the Khabib versus Justin Gaethje fight to play out because we don't want a repeat of what's happening in the heavyweight division. I think a lot of people were kind of upset with the way that the booking was made as far as the Curtis Blades fight and the Volkov fight went because now we don't really know what's going to happen as far as contendership. We don't really know uh, if Daniel Cormier beats Stipe Miocic or vice versa, what's going to happen as far as the next contender. And that could be Francis Ngannou, that could be Curtis Blades. It could be a lot of people right now. So we don't want a repeat of that, especially at lightweight. It's already a stacked division. There are already a lot of names that are at the top that should get a title shot. I think that the Tony Ferguson versus Justin Poirier fight makes a lot of sense at this moment. I think Justin Poirier wants to take a couple months off. He just went through a 25-minute war, so there's no need to rush into a fight just yet. Let's see how uh, Khabib versus Gaethje goes, and then we can take it from there. Obviously, the immediate rematch is there if Khabib somehow loses this fight, which is a plausible idea. I'm not taking anything away from Justin Gaethje. I think he definitely has a chance at beating Khabib. But uh, I think you need to let that one play out first before you figure anything out. And I know Conor McGregor is retired. I, I guess they're still going with this, that he's still retired. <laughs> but uh, the 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 storyline is there for Poirier, too. They could definitely do a rematch um, between him and Conor. And then we could see who gets the title shot out of that fight, too. So for me, what makes the most sense with Justin Poirier is probably t the Tony Ferguson fight, or if you want to give him Conor McGregor, that'd be great. I also saw Charles Oliveira. He gave his uh, he gave his reason why he should be next, and you know what? I wasn't mad at it. He kind of made sense. He's been looking great at, at lightweight. He's in the top 10 of the division, so I wouldn't be mad at that fight either. I don't know if Dustin wants to fight down. I think he's ranked lower, but if that's what it takes to get to a title shot, I'm sure Dustin Poirier is going to accept it. So there are a couple different ways that we can go with this, but I think Ferguson should be the clear-cut winner out of the next one. Chris, I want to follow up because there's been a lot of discussion about this since Saturday night, and if they do book a fight between Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson, this will be discussed a lot in the build-up to the fight because both of these guys have absolutely ridiculous resumes at 155 pounds. So if you were like... The, the CEO of the lightweight division and both of these guys came in to like talk to you to vie for one last spot on your roster and you can only choose one based on their resume. Who are you taking, Poirier or Ferguson? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I'm probably taking Dustin Poirier. I feel like his resume is a little bit, it holds up better than Tony Ferguson's. Don't get me wrong. Tony Ferguson has definitely fought a killer's row at lightweight. Uh, but I think he may have taken a little bit of a hit as far as his last fight goes. I think a lot of people considered that fight against Gaethje like a fight of the year. But past a certain point, it looked pretty obvious that Justin Gaethje was the clear-cut winner. So I think that kind of took a hit on, on Tony Ferguson's stock. So I'm going to go with Dustin Poirier. He always shows up. The guy is always in a fight of the year contender. So I, I'm not going to take Tony Ferguson over Dustin Poirier. Jose, are you taking Tony Ferguson over Dustin Poirier? Just based off of, like, on-paper resume? Yeah. Yeah, I would have to say Dustin Poirier. He has one of the most impressive resumes in t ever. Like, I just off the top of my head, it was like, uh, who he, he, he jumped up to lightweight, and then he after his Michael Johnson launch, it was like Jim Miller. Most fights in UFC history beats him. Then fights Eddie Alvarez, former UFC, Bellator, jamming to a draw or, or a no contest. Beats Anthony Pettis or stops Anthony Pettis, former UFC, WC champion. Beats Justin Gaethje, finishes Justin Gaethje in fight of the year, former World Series fighting now interim champion. Uh, who did he beat after that? Uh, then beat Eddie Alvarez, former UFC Bellator champion. Max Holloway, current featherweight champion at the time. Uh, and then he loses uh, to Habib. And then he just beats Dan Hooker, who was on a tear. So just that like chunk of time right there is one of the most impressive strings of fights I have ever seen. Well, Tony Ferguson has fought a lot of great fighters, but I think what really hurt him is his long times off where a lot of these fighters are now emerging that we want him to fight but he just hasn't fought yes like fought yet like his rda win is awesome cowboy cerrone is awesome uh his um 
Kevin Lee fight is awesome, but he hasn't fought like the Max Holloways and the Eddie Alvarez, and he, he just lost to Justin Gaethje. So uh, on paper, I think Dustin Poirier has one of the most impressive string of victories I've seen in the lightweight division ever. So not a not a ton of disagreement here. I'm not sure what uh what the peeps think here, but good start to the matchup. In the end, a point is gonna go to the former champion Jose Youngs. All right, a great start. Excellent work. We move ahead to uh, our next question. I'm hearing the music in the background. Let's uh let's talk the co-main event because as good as Poirier versus Hooker. As good as that fight looked on paper and how damn good the fight was on Saturday, the biggest story of the week heading into UFC Vegas 4 and probably was coming out of the event was one Mike Perry. Platinum Mike is preparing to fight Mickey Gall. He said a lot of crazy things, posted a lot of crazy things. He went without coaches in his corner, without fellow fighters in his corner. He elected to have only his girlfriend in his corner and she showed up. He gets a win. He had a lot to say during the virtual media day. He told me that he was happy to tell me and the rest of the media to go F ourselves and that I'm only a loser if I truly believe that I was a loser. He gave me a lot of life lessons to to ponder over on Thursday, and it's all good. But anyways, Perry comes in a sizable favorite in this fight, but all the build to this Saturday in that fight, like it led a lot of people at the betting window to take a shot on Mickey Gall. And first off, I think most people expected Mike Perry to come out there guns blazing and try to take Mickey Gall's head off in the first minute of the fight. Perry didn't do that. He threw big shots, yes, but he's very patient. He had a very smart game plan. He won the grappling exchanges on the feet and on the ground. This is a very balanced and disciplined performance from Platinum Mike Perry. So, Jose, let me start with you. Did Mike Perry play us all? Was this just a brilliant piece of gamesmanship on his part, or is this the fight you expected the whole time? Um, it's not the fight I expected. I expected Mike Perry to beat Mickey Gall, but I didn't expect him to beat him by decision. Uh, usually when Mike Perry wins, it's, uh, it's in a violent fashion. And yes, it was violent, but it was, it was, it was a pay, it was quote patient. But I think, uh, Mike Perry is one of those fighters that, uh, he can use his, I'm not saying he does this on purpose because I don't think that's the type of fighter he is. But like, if your opponent is like uber aggressive or just standing there, Mike Perry is going to just knock your knock your block off uh similar to like a, like like the jake ellenberger fight but if mickey gall he was like like you said kind of trying to use his, his length and kind of uh sticking his back against the cage and trying to uh use those counter shots mike perry still bodied him and big brothered him for most of that fight uh so i i was surprised he won the grappling but i wasn't surprised uh after seeing the first as soon as mickey gall tried to shoot him for that first take i was like oh this is gonna be a bad day for mickey gall because mike perry is just physically stronger than like this is an older brother just pushing his younger brother around like yes mickey gall might be a better grappler he's just not physically stronger than mike perry and if mike perry knows at least the uh positions uh to defend it's gonna be a bad day for mickey gall and that's exactly what happened so if you watch our preview show i picked mike perry to win i don't remember how i picked him to win but i so i'm not to answer your question no not surprised he won, but yes, surprised at how he won. Kristen, did he play us? Did Mike Perry play everybody heading into Saturday and in the fight itself? Yeah, honestly, it kind of feels like it. I think that Mike Perry, because he's known for doing Mike Perry things, you just kind of expect a lot of craziness and wackiness heading into a fight. So the whole storyline was, I'm not having anybody of MMA expertise in my corner. It's just going to be my girlfriend. And a lot of people ran with that story. And as as we do as MMA media, I think we're all guilty of this. We perpetuate those kinds of storylines. We kind of shed focus on that. So um, he kind of did. I, I think it, it didn't take away from his performance at all. But I think because we were so enthralled with the idea of this young woman being the only corner person for Mike Perry, who would benefit from some kind of good advice in a fight, uh, it kind of took away from us focusing on what he may have improved in. I think in his post-fight interview, he was saying that the training was essentially the same for him. He had the sparring partners. He was doing everything the right way. The only thing that changed was his corner. And then you hear how he broke down why he had the corner in, in that manner. And I was like, you know what? I kind of buy it. I kind of buy why he just had his girlfriend in there. Maybe he just needed that extra motivation. And who am I to tell Mike Perry who he can have in his corner? That's that's part of the reason why I didn't say anything. I thought it was obviously a little bit crazy to do that. And I, I think my concern mainly was for uh, Miss Latori because I don't think she's ever found herself in a position like that. 
So I was more concerned for the girlfriend than I was for Mike Perry, but I wanted to see how it played out. So I didn't want to eat any words if, if everything went according to plan, and, and it did. So Mike Perry played us. We focused too much on the whole girlfriend story rather than what he did better in the fight, because I definitely wasn't expecting the grappling exchanges. I thought that he was getting the better of Mickey Gall, which everyone would have expected Mickey to kind of win at those, because that's his bread and butter on the ground. So yeah, we got played. And this is why you don't really say anything before it happens. And, and I'm happy it worked out the way that it did for Mike Perry, because I was skeptical, but maybe he's going to start a new trend. Maybe now we're all going to see just wives and girlfriends in the corner of every fighter. And when he explained it in his post-fight interview and talking to the media, like it actually made all the sense in the world. Like I, I totally agreed with him, but I thought, and you mentioned it, Chris, I thought his post-fight interview with John Anik was phenomenal. And listen, Mike Perry is no saint. He has said things in the past that he's going to be talked about for years and forever as, as far as the sport goes. But I feel like we kind of saw the real guy in that moment. Like the post-fight scrum is a lot of fun. And one thing that stuck out to everybody was how much he wants to fight Darren Till. Like he wants to go up to 185. He wants to get a team. He wants to train with the old Romero to make that happen. Now let's be perfectly clear here. Very few are going to scoff at a matchup that's gotten as personal as Darren Till versus Mike Perry has gotten. Darren Till's creating MikePerryIsABum.com and sending people to a YouTube video where Mike Perry's getting knocked out in boxing. So, Kristen, let me ask you, is there any chance this fight happens anytime soon in the octagon governed by a commission because Darren Till is scheduled to fight Robert Whitaker, but win or lose, is there a chance we see this fight anytime soon? No, absolutely not. As fun as the fight would be to watch, and I've been enjoying every single like back and forth that Perry and Till have been having, it's great to see trolls troll each other. That fight is not happening anytime soon. You mentioned Till has a fight coming up with Whitaker. That's where his focus should be at. And now with the win, he's back in the win column uh, for Mike Perry. Focus on getting someone in the welterweight division. You gotta get ranked again. So let's fight someone maybe outside of the top 15 work your way back up into the rankings, and then we can maybe revisit this whole thing. It'd be a different story if if Till was still at welterweight, but he's not. He's starting a new career at middleweight. Let that happen. Let that play out. And then maybe in a few years, if the beef is still alive, sure, I'd love to see it. But as of right now, both men should be focusing on what they can do in their respective divisions to kind of further their careers. Jose, you're the man that says the things that make sense shouldn't be discussed in MMA. And a fight between Mike Perry and Darren Till right now probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but people want to see it. Are we, are we able to see it anytime soon, or is this just a crazy pipe dream? To, uh, if we're going to see the fight with a government-regulated body inside the octagon, probably not anytime <laughs> soon, but that doesn't mean they're not going to fight. I mean, Mike Perry himself said, I'm going to stick my finger in his eye and get a hold of him first time I see him. So... If I woke up one day and saw a headline that Mike Perry assaulted Darren Till like at a restaurant, I'd be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like that actually makes sense in mixed martial arts. That is possible. Uh, not Mike Perry fights is set to fight Darren Till next at middleweight after fighting Robert Whitaker. If Darren Till loses to Robert Whitaker, I think maybe, but I don't think it's happening anytime soon for a few reasons. Uh, uh, this pandemic is happening. Uh, Mike Perry needs to find a team. Uh, there's, so who knows who can travel where and when and what time from what state? I mean, Mike Perry wants to go to Florida, which, as Kristen knows, is one of the most has one of the highest spikes in coronavirus cases. I think it's only second to my state, Arizona. Uh, so if he's in Florida, who knows if he can if if countries are going to allow him in and vice versa and all that stuff. So uh, is it going to happen in the octagon? Probably not anytime soon. But if Darren Till and Mike Perry want to break brick in a Denny's parking lot in Duluth, wherever Duluth is, then sign me up to watch that. So what's the fight then, Jose? How do you match make Mike Perry after this? Mike Perry versus Nico Price is the fight is the fight to make. I just think that's a hey, that that's a that's a wood chipper versus a buzzsaw waiting to happen. But like, both men aren't ever in boring fights, win or lose. There, but they both lost to Jeff Neal and. Uh, pretty devastating fashion. He, they both lost to Vicente Luque and pretty, uh, the, both of their faces got rearranged by Vicente Luque. So uh, I know Nico Price has won that fight before. I absolutely love that fight. Nico Price is one of the most off the wall, oddball characters at welterweight. And the, I think the only one maybe odder than him is Mike Perry. So if they want to throw down, I'm all for it. I know they're both coming off losses, but if Dana White and the UFC are like, 
Hey, we had Jess Guy, Cynthia Calvillo headline a fight night. Let's get Nico Price and Mike Perry fight for 25 minutes and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% in for that. So, But again, that fight doesn't make sense to be a main event, but this is MMA, and nothing makes sense. So Mike Perry versus Nico Price, 25 minutes, I'm all in favor for it. Yeah, I think that's a fight. Kristen, do you agree with us or disagree with us? I mean, I'd love to see the Nico Price fight with Mike Perry, but I think that you're discounting another oddball at Walter Waite, and I would honestly like to see a Diego Sanchez fight. Let's see how Mike Perry versus Diego Sanchez goes, considering they have the best corners right now. <laughs> I think that'd be one hell of a matchup just to see how Latoria, Latori versus Joshua Fabia goes. That, that'd be fun. Wow. How did I not even think of that? Jeez Louise. Stassi wow. Michelle Pereira against Mike Perry. That'd be a, that'd be fun. Too. Real confusing fight to watch. <laughs> right. There's, I mean, Mike's got a very important fight on his hands as is with with the tax man. So sure. that's led to some some really good conversations on social media from the likes of Ben Askren and Eddie Alvarez and others. But uh, love Mike Perry or hate him. People watch him, and you can see that based on the numbers from the scrums and all that stuff on our page. Christian, so. has Mike Perry ever yelled at you? No. Oh, you got to get on me and Mike's level. <laughs> you know what? I get yelled at all the time in Florida, so maybe maybe it'll happen one day. He'll talk about my hair, maybe, I'm sure. There you go. And after uh, a very exciting round two, the point is going to go to... Kristen King. And the reason for that, although both answers are great, is that she actually answered the initial question as it was presented. So she gets the point and uh, ties the game. As we head to our next question, we mentioned this at the top of the program. The UFC is done in Vegas for the time being. They'll be back in August, but there were five events at the Apex from May 30th. That was the one headlined by Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns through this past Saturday. That also included a pay-per-view, UFC 250, that was headlined by a featherweight title fight between Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer. So my question is, Kristen King, and I want to preface this by saying that I, I want to take the pay-per-view element out of this equation because the natural reaction was that a pay-per-view is automatically bigger and holds more merit than a fight night card, even though that's not exactly true based on this question. But overall, looking at these five events from the first fight to the last fight, start to finish, which of these five events of the Apex was the overall best card and why? It's got to be the most recent one with Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. I mean, we got a fight of the year contender in these two insane lightweight fighters. Then we had the weirdness that was Mike Perry and his corner, which is always good for a story. And then he looked disciplined. I think a lot of people don't really give him too much credit for when he does sit down and focus and, and, and gets a good win. We had that. We had the Tanner Bosser uh, knockout, which was insane. I'm surprised he didn't get a, a bonus for that. And then, which was even better than the knockout, was his post-fight interview. Because I don't know about you guys, but going into that fight, I didn't expect him to talk the way that he did in his post-fight interview. And then when I left the the fight, I was like, you know what? I think I need to see Maurice Green versus Tanner Bolster, which is what I wasn't even thinking about going into this card. Then you got the upsets like Julian Arosa and Kama Worthy. Those are insane. I think Kama Worthy, he had a great performance. A lot of people probably weren't expect, wasn't expecting him to submit Luis Pena, but he did. And then same with Julian Arosa. I think he found kind of like a, a hole in Sean... Sean Woodson's game and he exploited that and it was just great to see him get another shot in the UFC. You had some weird scoring, which is typical in an MMA card. You had the Brendan Allen 30-27 thing and then you had the debut of Kay Hansen. She looked great too. So I mean you had pretty much every single thing that would make like a perfect fight card wrapped into one. So I think that's why Hooker versus Poirier is the best Apex card from Vegas. Agree, Jose, or did something else stick out that was, that was uh, even better? I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I just made our decision right here. Uh, I think UFC 250 was the best card uh, outside of the pay-per-view female, greatest female fighter of all time fighting in the main event. Uh, from top to bottom, we had a lot of uh, a lot of finishes and a lot of really important matchups play out, like Herbert Burns emerging with that submission win, and then uh, Devin Clark and... Uh, 
uh, Bruce Leroy using their platform to really push the Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, on the biggest fight of their career. Like uh, speaking of Bruce Leroy, derailing Chase Hooper, Ian Hine is saving his job with a knockout after almost not fighting on the card after a uh, false negative. Cody Stamen winning after the death of his his brother. Uh, Magny uh, getting another win, and then O'Malley and Garbrandt getting those just knockout of the year candidates. Uh, like within within a few hours, like an hour of each other, and then all of a sudden they're jawing back and forth on Twitter. Uh, Alzheimer Sterling taps uh, Corey Sandhagen, and now we have a number one contender. And of course, Amanda Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time, does what she does, and now she's teasing retirement. So that could be the last fight we ever see Amanda Nunes fight. So I think UFC 250 in terms of uh, storylines, important matchups for the division, finishes, and the greatest female fighter of all time being at the top is the best Apex card of UFC 250. I like. I don't think there's been a bad one. Uh, I'll say that, but if if we're trying to weed out what's been the best top to bottom all around, UFC 250, in my mind. Yeah, I, and there's arguments. You could probably make arguments for all of them in, in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like even look at the, the Calvio versus I one. We all awesome went in there part. with the, yeah, we all went in there with the, with a certain feeling about it that it was going to be like, ugh, why, why is this happening? And then the fight card plays out and we're like, oh, this is actually really, really good. But I want to go back to you, Jose, because we saw a lot of fighters grow their overall stock throughout these events. Like some rose in the rankings, some grew in social media followers, some became sort of must-see TV coming out of these events. So of these five fight cards, which fighter stock do you think rose the most overall? Like which fighter took the biggest step in the, I don't know, the, the, the it factor department following these five cards? In terms, we're not talking about rankings, right? Because that's obviously Cynthia Calvillo. She went from unranked to like two after one win. So if we're not yeah. talking about rankings, mm, I, it'd have to be... Uh, it's either Gilbert Burns or Sugar Sean. Uh, Gilbert Burns going out there and just beating the brakes off of a former welterweight champion who many considered the greatest well, second greatest welterweight, not named George St. Pierre. Uh, now he's getting a title fight. I think so. Gilbert Burns is a big one. But I think Sugar Sean. I mean, it was the Sugar Show that week. I was on the scene for uh, his for his fight and like that whole week. It was the Sugar Show, as he said. He said, like, Reebok made a million dollars just off his name. He made, like, $6,000, $7,000. He got the win he needed the way he needed, the knockout, the walkaway knockout over established uh, WEC UFC title challenger in Eddie Wineland. Uh, And then goes out there and says, hey, I don't want more money like John Jones and Masvidal. I just want to get paid what I'm worth. So it was the Sugar Show all week. Got the win he needed against a very important venture. Now we have Cody Garbrandt talking about Sean O'Malley, who's like top five former champion. Anytime former champion starts talking about you is important. Now there are people trying to fantasy match make that fight, which doesn't make sense either. But the fact that they want that fight is important. Uh, and then uh, Sugar Sean just uh, saying all of the right things after and then doing the the podcast rounds and all the major net, all the major podcast networks after. So in terms of the fans, I would probably say Sugar Sean in my mind. Kristen, whose stock rose the most over this month month and change in Las Vegas? I think I'd give it to Dan Hooker, even in the loss. Like, I don't think that he looked completely terrible. I think a lot of people heading into this fight were kind of discrediting him because he was taking on someone like Dustin Poirier, which, granted, that is a big task for someone like Dan Hooker to take on. But it's not like he hasn't been beating some good names at lightweight. So I think that his stock overall did rise. He looked great. It looked like you said earlier, it looked like he could have stopped Dustin Poirier. And I think Justin Gaethje, I know he said that he was going to get murked by Dustin Poirier, but even he had to admit that, hey, he deserves a seat at the lightweight table. He's definitely going to be a contender. So I think that the next time that we see Dan Hooker, it's going to be completely different. I think he's going to look like a better fighter overall. So as far as the stock goes, I think it's Dan Hooker. I mean, he still has a city kickboxing team behind him. I'm pretty sure if he gets another win, he'll burst into title contention again, I'm pretty sure. So Dan Hooker, man, I, I feel for him in a loss, but I think it doesn't do too much to to kind of get him out of the, the top ranks of the lightweight division. Yeah, those are all those are all good ones. Like John O'Malley's a good one. Gilbert Burns obviously a good one because, you know, he goes and dominates Tyron Woodley, becomes the number one contender in a loaded division. Now he's gonna fight for a world title in less than two weeks in a main event against Kamara Usman and you know, I, I come I look at these things from a different perspective because I interview fighters all the time and, you know, people reach out and they're like, when, you know, when are you talking to this guy? When are you talking to this guy? And I think 
based on his interview heading into the fight and what we've seen afterwards, I think Kama Worthy took a giant step forward. Like, because mm-hmm. when you interview a guy like Col- like Colby Covington, of course, like fans want him on every week, either to to listen to what he has to say or just so they could throw shade at him. But over the last couple of weeks, I've had so many people ask me like, when Kama Worthy is coming back on and truth be told, just interviewed him before I came on this and it is outstanding. So you'll see that on what the heck, but, uh, Who's taken one step closer to the BTL interim title? That's the real question right now. And that person is going to be the man with the best mustache in MMA media. Jose Youngs takes a two to one lead. And I could do this for another 10 rounds because this is such a fun matchup. But let's head to the final question of regulation, perhaps the final question of the game, unless Kristen King can come through here. The UFC is heading to to Fight Island. UFC 251 going down July 11th, a little less than two weeks from right now. There's going to be subsequent events on the 15th, the 18th, and the 25th. Every card has a lot of good matchups. There's four title fights in total on the island. There's a lot of uh, quote-unquote next-step matchups, a lot of solid prospects, a lot of the international flavor that we've been missing. But, Jose, let me start with you, of course. 251 has three title fights. It's a huge event. The other headliners, the other three cards are great, too. A lot of really, really good fights. So in your opinion, and you can base this on whatever criteria you choose because there are no wrong answers here, what is the most fascinating Fight Island matchup that's set to go down over the next few weeks? Hmm. Fascinating? Like, fat, that's tough because I'm most excited for Usman Burns, but I'm super interested in Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. But I'd, so I'd say that one for personally for me, I know everyone doesn't want that fight, but I think that's why I'm to answer this question specifically. That is why I'm so fascinated by this one, uh, because people don't want Jose Aldo to have this fight. So I'm interested to see how he looks. And then Peter Yan, our own Damon Martin, is like looking at the rankings and he's like, can someone tell me why Peter Yan is ranked like number two? He's only beaten Jimmy Rivera in like the top 10 or something, something like that. And he's coming off win over Uriah Faber. So. I think Peter Yan deserves this fight, but given the fact that Aldo's own one, and then people are argue, there's a people are now arguing that Peter Yan doesn't even deserve his ranking spot. I am interested in how they look against each other. I'm always interested to watch Jose Aldo fight. I'm I'm very interested in how he looks at 135 uh, championship weight. Uh, so I get people don't want that fight, and I get people hate it. And they there's I, Alzheimer, like if they gave it to Alzheimer Sterling instead of Aldo after his win, all power to him. I get why they made this fight, but in terms of to answer the question specifically, what am I most interested in watching? It's Jan versus Aldo, but the one I'm most excited for is Usman Burns. Kristen, what do you think? What's that fight that you just got circled on your your Fight Island calendar that you just can't wait to watch? For me, it's going to be Paige Van Zandt versus Amanda Rivas. I think that there are so many different storylines that are about to play out with this fight. You have Amanda Rivas, who is... 3-0 3-0 in the division. Since she came, she's absolutely perfect in the in the UFC. Her biggest win was the Mackenzie Dern fight, and I don't think a lot of people pre- expected her to go out there and dominate Mackenzie Dern in the way that she did, especially when it came to the like standing. A lot of people were surprised by that. And she's been calling for this fight. She's been wanting Paige Van Zandt for the longest time. Add on to that that she has like one of the most infectious personalities that I think I've ever seen in a UFC fighter. She's literally one of the happiest people. So I'm sure she's happy to have this moment against Paige Van Zandt. And, and now we can go over to her, which is a completely different story. You guys remember Paige Van Zandt was like all the rage back in 2015, 2016. She was headlining cards with with uh, another blonde hair, blue eyed uh, killer in Sage Northcutt. Those two were like touted as the future of the UFC. And now look how far we've come from that. It's completely different. Paige Van Zandt has been talking about her pay. She's been talking about testing free agency, finding out her worth. We haven't seen her in a little over a year now. I think the last performance was the Rachel Ostevich fight back in UFC Brooklyn. So we don't know what kind of Paige Van Zandt we're going to get. This is the last fight on her UFC contract. I'm sure she's open to exploring different options, including one from Bellator, which would make the absolute most sense considering that her husband is already there. So, I mean, there are a lot of different ways that this fight could play out. And this is almost like a changing of the guard. You have this new standout in Amanda Rivas taking on the, the the old girl that we used to pay so much attention to and who used to be the biggest and brightest star that the UFC was putting out there. 
it's completely different. So if Amanda Rivas gets a win over Paige Van Zandt, sky is the limit for her. And if Paige Van Zandt wins, it could be the end of her as far as the UFC goes. But I don't think that she's going to be completely done with fighting. I think she's still going to have a career. She's going to have a future. It just might be under a different banner. So I'm super excited to see how that fight goes. That's a really interesting one because Amanda Ibas is uh, like a humongous favorite. She's like an eight to one favorite Rightfully or something so. crazy it's like a that. Dangerous yeah. Woman. yeah. But imagine if Paige Van Zandt like goes out and like taps Amanda Ibas on Fight Island and salsa dances her way to the Paramount parking lot. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be an incredible story. I'd love She'd to be, see her, her stock would be sky high. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, and then she can find out what her value is. She's been talking about that for so long. So, again, so many different ways this fight can go. That's why I'm the most excited. Yeah, I think this will be the last time we see her win or lose unless the UFC really ponies up. But I just I just feel like she'll be more comfortable in Bellator. But so that's an interesting fight. I do want to go back to you, Krista, because you know me. We've, we've talked a lot over the years. You know how much I love the under-the-radar stuff and the under-the-radar storyline. So what other fight on this slew of events sticks out to you on these cards that just is just not getting enough love that's got you all fired up here. There are a lot of fights like that, but for me, it's probably going to be uh, Nathaniel Wood versus Umar Nurmagomedov. This is Nurmagomedov's debut. I think they were supposed to fight back in, um, was it April? Was that UFC 249 where they had to cancel it because of the... I don't think they... I think it was supposed to be Umar versus... Um, Hunter Azure. Hunter Azure. Right, right. He was supposed to fight on that card. He didn't get a chance to. Now they rebooked him against someone like Nathaniel Wood. He is coming in on a loss, but I don't think that matters. I think Nathaniel Woods is one of those guys that is like the next big thing coming out of like the UK. So I'm super excited to see how he bounces back from a loss. I think he lost to like John Dodson. Wasn't a terrible loss, I, I think. So um, I'm excited to see what he does. I mean, this is like good prospect versus another good prospect. I'm always down to give attention to like the lighter weight classes. So I'm excited to see the new generation of Bantamweight stars. And Umar Nurmagomedov is no joke. I mean, he's been doing some pretty good work. So I'm excited to see how that fight plays out. Jose, what about you? What's your under the radar fight island fight? Um, There's... <sighs> I like where I like Kristen's where Kristen's head at where she's picking the 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 uh, the like the the, the quote up and coming. So I am personally excited for Carlos Barr's Marina Rodriguez because Marina Rodriguez beat Tisha Torres and the only people that have beaten Tisha Torres are champions or former champions. So anytime that happens, you have to circle her. I've been really I've been really high on her. She's a very violent fighter for a strawweight. Carlos Barr's is, of course, former Invicta UFC champion. I think that's a very important first step. So it's that fight. But then I cannot deny how excited I am for Shogun Little Nog 3, because I remember all of their fights. I watched all of their fights when they happened. So uh, this could this is Little Nog's last fight ever in his career. He is a future Hall of Famer, one of the most important fighters uh, of the light heavyweight division, going back to Pride. The Nogueira brothers are just like the definition of royalty in mixed martial arts. I don't know anyone who, uh, yes, Chel Sonnen makes the jokes with the buses and all that stuff, but I don't know anyone that doesn't hold the Noguera brothers in such high regard. And then Shogun is all is like right there. Like remember when he had like a three fight win streak a couple of years ago and Daniel Cormier, who at the time was the champion, he goes, if Shogun beats Anthony Smith and he wants to fight for a title, I'm not going to say no to Shogun Hua. So like that was the champion then. So two icons of the sport are closing out an important chapter in mixed martial arts history. It's the last time we we'll ever see Lil Nog. It has nothing to do with the title. It has nothing to do with uh, rankings or anything. This is just, as a man who watched their previous fights and was enthralled by their previous fights, I can't deny I'm not. Ex I can't deny I'm excited for uh, Shogun Lil Nog three and the Coleman event. Nicely done. I, I got two. One is like way under the radar, and one is kind of surprising. Montel Jackson versus Brett Johns is going to be a banger. I cannot wait rules. for that fight. <laughs> that fight rules in, in a lot of ways. And the other fight I think is really flying under the radar is the fourth title fight. Davidson Figueiredo versus yeah. Joseph Benavidez for the vacant flyweight title. Like, no one's talking about that fight right now. And maybe it's just because two, 251's coming up. We got Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige. We got fights like Jack Hermanson versus Kelvin Gaslam, Whitaker versus Till. So I feel like Figueiredo versus Benavidez is flying under the radar as well. And, uh... A lot to look forward to. There's some really good fights on, on Fight Island, and we have a really good fight here on Between the Links as the point goes to 
none other than Kristen King. That was uh, that was good. I, Amanda Hebos versus Paige Van Zandt. You sold me on that one even more so. Uh, but let's head and, and plus just all cards on the table. I want to, I want this knockout round to happen because I think the question is freaking fantastic. So knockout round time. One question. Neither of these individuals have any idea where we're going with this. So I'm going to simply ask the question. I'm going to guide the conversation. And that's where my role is going to end. After it is done, we will head to the truck to E. Casey Lydon. He will render the final decision and crown interim champion. Kristen Jose's names, and I swear to God, I will show you the video I recorded on my phone earlier. I put your names in a free random name generator that I stumbled across in case we got to this, and Kristen won the draw. So you get to choose, Kristen. Do you want to go first, or do you want to pass it on to Jose Youngs? I will pass it on to my good buddy, Jose Youngs. Jose is not used to being in this position before. He used to being the champion and, and kicking it right off, but he's going to receive this one, and I am so excited for this. So here is the question, but Jose, Kristen, it's not really a question in the end. Since all of our loyal watchers and listeners like to call me Dana White's son or Dana White's little brother, allow me, if you will, to encompass that role for a moment. So right now, I'm not Mike Heck. I'm another bald guy with a crap ton more money who is the president of the biggest fight organization on planet on planet Earth. And it's rare that actual MMA media members get one-on-one time with me these days. And today you get 60 seconds to say anything you want to me, whether it's making a point about anything in the sport, maybe a particular aspect that you want changed, or maybe you want to tell me how great I am or how good my, my light blue shirt looks. Either way, you have one minute to get it all out there. So we're going to set the timer. It's already there. For one minute, get ready, get set, go. Well, first of all, Dana White, wear a tie when you're on camera. Well, nothing bothers me more than grown men who wear shirts, suits, and no tie. It is in, it is personally infuriating me. Yeah, you you're a billionaire. Wear a tie. Look professional. Second of all, uh, all of these fighters that want to fight you, and you're like, oh, we can fight an octagon. You think you're gonna pass a USADA test? I don't think so, Dana White. I've seen you on the the, the men's men's fitness, men's health uh, covers. Don't think you saw it. Is, don't think you saw it knocking on you saw it knocking on your door. You're not getting away from that one. Second of all, third of all, answer a question. When I say uh, what's next for so and so, don't say isn't ESPN great. I'm like, no, that's not what I ask, guy. I ask you what's next for so and so. Don't say, oh, uh, Joe Joe Silva is this and that. Like seconds. that's not what I ask. I ask uh, for what's next for Sean O'Malley and. And fourth, open the books. I would like to know why you're spending $10,000 on vacations, but you're also paying fighters 10, 10, and 10. All right. That is my time. Time is up. Time is up. And I'm going to answer your question the way Dana White would say it. I've said this a million times already. We're in a pandemic, Jose. We're in a pandemic. Oh, okay. Kristen, I mean, that's, that's his answer to a lot of different things. So we got 60 seconds from Jose Young's. Kristen King. It is now your turn. 60 seconds on the clock, one minute on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, and go. Dana White, I can appreciate what you've done for the sport as far as the global pandemic has gone, but please be open to more criticism. You have to realize that putting on fight cards seem like the most insane idea ever, and just the fact that you pushed back against it so hard was kind of hard to watch, but in the end, you ended up doing great. I I'm happy that you did it, you kind of find found your stride when it came to the fight cards. That's great. Second, please, let's have an open conversation about better pay for the fighters. If you're saying that this is not a career, this is more of an opportunity, wouldn't you want to give your fighters the best opportunity to make the most money possible and retire with a good chunk of change? I think you should be more open to that. We should be more open to getting these fighters the money they deserve, especially when it comes to like licensing. If you guys are going to re-sign Reebok or get a new deal with Nike, make sure your athletes get paid. Listen to the athletes. They know what they want. They know what they're worth. Give it to them, please. Wow. There you have it. I'm not Dana White anymore. I, I don't <laughs> want to be Dana White right now because you guys uh, you guys torched them. What can I say? And uh, I agree with Jose. <laughs> Tie with the suit. Tie with the suit. Come on now. But uh, good stuff. No one. Yes. But now I get to sit back, relax, and send it on over to the truck to judge 
E. Casey Lydon, the man with the golden gavel, to render the final decision. So, Judge Lydon, what is your verdict? <sighs> I was hope I was hoping for a knockout. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to go to the cards. I didn't want to do this. All right, let me tally this up. All right, all right, all right. This is a tough one. You had the tie. You had the fighter pay and uh, Reebok money. <laughs> Between the links, interim champion, <laughs> Jose Young. Oh, man. Wow. I, I, Casey, well done. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Jeez Louise. Oh, I am sweating. I am sweating. Wow. Wow. What a tough decision that was. I'm so glad I didn't have to make it. With that, Jose, you are the BTL interim champion of the universe and you've earned a date next week with the undisputed champion the great james lynch and with that you get the floor to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about in this wonderful sport of ours good bad and different the floor is yours well this was an unexpected win i actually really liked Kristen's answer at the the 60 second things to talk to dana way she probably was a lot more articulate than i was uh she also ran this twice because she played yesterday and i found out i was going to be on this like 10 hours ago so <laughs> i also didn't even look at the quest i just showed up at 10 a.m pacific time so it is also the a.m where i am so I this I want I would love to go against Kristen again when we both have time to prepare. I thought she was awesome. I'm happy that she's on the show. I'm very much looking forward to my rematch with James Lynch. Uh, I feel like I earned my my rematch. I wasn't just granted it. The the right this actually makes sense, unlike most of the things in mixed martial arts, as I always say. But uh, James prepare to be one and one, and then the rubber match is going to happen later on. But on my terms, as many fighters say. There you go, Kristen. Consolation prize. I mean, you did this back-to-back days. I mean, it's you delivered great performances both times out. What would you like to say to the to the folks watching at home? Uh, just thanks for having me, man. This was fun. I I know I I talked a lot of trash to Jose, so <laughs> I gotta eat my words. I guess I gotta hang my head in shame for a little bit. But uh, I'm looking forward to the next uh, the next time we go against each other, and then maybe me and James can run it back too. So. Thanks for having me. Casey, you're on my list now. You're on my list. New matchup in the works. I love it. I love it. This today was an incredible matchup. I'm really looking forward to to next week's show, the rematch, to see if Jose can bounce back and get that one against the great James Lynch. But uh, no UFC this week, but Invicta FC. Invicta is back on Thursday night, so get ready for that. They always put on great events. They are probably the most under-the-radar fight promotion, in my opinion. Never a bad event from them. So check that out Thursday on UFC Fight Pass. But in the meantime, we are done. Big thank you to his honor. Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, slamming that golden gavel down. For our combatants, Jose Youngs and Kristen King, thank you very much. I am Mike Heck. Thank you all for watching. We'll see you back here next week as we go back once again between the links. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, hosted by Mr. Mike Heck. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using method hair care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.